Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Morning, Renewal. We are really, really glad you're here with us today. Uh, James and his family are traveling the world, so you get to hear from me. Um, I'm really excited that you're all here, but I'm really excited about my little people in the room. Kids in the front row. Whoop, whoop. Super exciting. All right, over here, Mallory. Whoop, whoop. Cool, 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 cool. Alan? There it is. There it is. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here, so you can see my my level of influences with the teenagers. Yikes. Last week, we got to hear from my very good friend Tyler Higgins, and he showed us some magic. Ooh. If you missed it, you missed it. We are continuing our journey through Acts, and this morning I have the privilege of talking you guys through Acts chapter 9. So we're just going to start there. You guys open up all your Bibles. Oh yeah, I see them all turning the pages and moving right along. So great. No, we're no shame here. I have mine on an app, so if you want to follow along with me, I will be starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them in, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, have you guys ever stood your ground on something that you were like, I am so right about this. No one can convince me. I am the most right. Like, this is the hill I will die on because I am this right. Well, I have a little story. My mom's not here, but today is her birthday. I'm not going to mention how old she is because she'd love that later. Uh, But she is a woman who loves being right more than I do. And for those of you who know me, that is shocking. I was in college at the time, and I was in school in Camas. I went to the Art Institute of Portland, so I had a little drive. So, you know, me, I'm a little bit last minute. I've probably given myself just enough time to, like, pull up, park, walk my five minutes to class and be on time, not early, on time. I now cannot find my car keys. I have taken every bag apart, all my pockets. I've looked through everything, literally all the pockets and all the places. It's nowhere. So what do I have to do? I have to call my mom and say, hey, mom, I lost my car keys. (laughs) But at this rate, I was sure that, like, the two- and three-year-old I was nannying at the time they stole it. It was definitely their fault, not mine. My mom on the phone, I can hear it in her voice, as all mothers do, did you look in all the pockets? Emphasis on all. I cut her off before she can ask me any more irritating questions. And I say, of course, I looked in all the pockets. I looked in all the places. She's like, okay, which is a scary sentence too for my mom. Uh, She drives the over hour, they're in Silver Lake, Washington. That is an hour plus drive to Camas. She rolls in. I'm just like, oh, no. She walks in. Not more than 30 seconds does she do this and go, here are your keys in your bag that you searched all the pockets of. And I was like, ah! it was the one pocket I forgot. 
But literally an hour before, I would have like paid money that I had searched all the pockets. I was so sure that I was right. But as we know, moms are usually right. Now I'm a mom and I'm right, right? Good answer. We've all been there though, right? Like maybe it's where you've been exactly, like you've been the person who's lost your car keys and it was your mom or maybe some spouses in the room, yeah? They found the very thing that you've been searching for and sworn it was nowhere to be found, right? In our story, we've got Saul. And I mean, maybe having people arrested and killed is a bit extreme for most of us to relate to. But the idea that we have our mind made up on where we stand, that's a little bit more relatable. That we would be justified in our own pursuit of righteousness, Saul is devoted in the pursuit of arresting these people because he truly believes what he is doing is right. And Saul can, like, justify his actions, right? We love to justify our actions. He can justify them against the church because he's looking to the heroes of Israel's past. Phineas killed an Israelite man and a Mennonite woman who were defying the law of God in Numbers. Elijah killed the prophets of Baal in 1 King. But you and I know that someone by the name of Jesus, well, he changed things. Let's continue on in verse 3. As he, Saul, was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This light that is shown from heaven, Paul recalls later in Acts 26, he recalls that it was the middle of the day. So if we think about the middle of the day in a hot place, the sun is bright, and it is right there. He said this light from heaven was even brighter. That's scary. I I am easily spooked. Like, literally the other day, some friends in the room can attest to this. A moth flew at me, and we're in public, and I just screamed. And I was like, ah. like, that's scary. This falling seems really appropriate here. Notice that God calls out Saul's name twice. Like, just one mention of your name, it might get your attention, but two, you're listening. That is why when I was younger, I would use it would just reuse mom. I would exhaust it. Mom, 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 mom. And then I'd go, Andrea. She'd be like. <laughs> it always got her attention and then a look because you don't say Andrea to your mom. <laughs> this occurrence of God calling people by name happens eight other times in the Bible. And in each of those times, God was setting up the people he mentions by name to greater things almost like it was a promotion of sorts. What a precious and powerful thing to be called by name by God. We ask a lot of questions, some of us more than others. I like to ask a lot. (laughs) The dialogue between me and God often looks like 20 questions where he's in the hot seat and I'm firing one after the other. What about this? What about that? But what a profound question that Saul asks. Who are you, Lord? All the other questions are answered. Like, wow, I have never thought of that. We just ask, who are you, Lord? Maybe we should start asking questions like that. Jesus' response to Saul's question of who are you, Lord, is I am Jesus. It's like his little mic drop moment. 
Although Jesus was a fairly common name in that day, the ascended Jesus of Nazareth needed no further identification. He said, I am Jesus. And Saul knew which Jesus spoke. The gravity of that moment where you've just been confronted with the truth. Your mom just found the keys. (laughs) That you were not persecuting man, but God. That's really weighty. Jesus gives his assignment to Saul to go into the city. Verse 7, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he didn't eat or drink. This is a roller coaster, you guys. You go from being the guy who is calling the shots, planning and plotting, to now you are at the mercy of the people to guide you by hand. You can't see anything. It's dark. These three days must have challenged all of Saul's previous ideas about God and what he was pleased with. Now, verse 10, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by leading priests to arrest everyone who calls on your name. I love that we get to see the partnership between God and man in these verses. God used Ananias to be a part of a bigger story through this vision. God could have gone on his way to make things happen. I mean, he is God, of course, right? But instead, here is God again, allowing humans to be a part of his redemptive story. You see a man, not unlike us, that God chooses to use to open Ananias' eyes to God's grace over humanity, not for some but for everyone. We see Ananias trying to come to terms with this countercultural way of life. But Lord, like, do you not understand who this guy is? He's bad. He's actually the worst. Saul doesn't look or act anything like us. In fact, he enjoys arresting us and putting us to death. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Can you imagine? God chose Saul. He said, Saul is my chosen instrument. Jesus uses everyone. He chose Saul, the worst of the worst the very guy responsible for his followers' suffering and persecution. He loves Saul, and his stuff isn't too scary or big to deal with. In fact, Saul is the very guy for the job, the one that, with God, can make really big waves. I love this quote from Bob Goff. It says, grace never seems fair until you need some. Grace never seems fair until you need some. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me 
so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After, he ate some food and regained his strength. Now, we don't know how disgruntled Ananias was. Maybe he was really like excited for this assignment to go and lay hands on Saul to bring him back his sight. But if I'm putting myself in his shoes, I'm a little bit reluctant. I see a guy that's like this with my human eyes, and I go, ooh, this guy, God? Okay. Might even add a little eye roll in there, a little, here we go. This guy, as if God knows. God isn't asking us to be totally convinced. He's asking us to start moving, to trust in his ways and processes just enough to go. To be the hands and feet of his work. Here we see Ananias go. He moves in obedience. And we often focus a lot on Saul in the story, right? I mean, this is the big change. This is the like crazy from this guy to that guy. That is a wow moment, right? But right here we can miss that a simple yes to God means really big changes. I mean, Ananias, you see him call Saul his brother, brother Saul. What would it look like for God to call us into places, places that we don't go, places where the Sauls are? The very ones that we disagree with, the ones that we don't understand, the people that look so different from us. Oftentimes in our small movements with God, we get to be a part of an epic story where we might have thought that we were in the seat of changing people's lives, that we were the knight in shining armor that God chose, and yet we're actually the ones that are changed forever. I can almost guarantee that Ananias' life was never the same after that day. Jesus said being right with him meant loving people who got things wrong. From that day on, Saul would never be the same, and neither would the story of the church. When we are face-to-face with Jesus, nothing can stay the same. We're changed. Let's position ourselves so that when God brings the call to move, we're ready. Even if we're reluctant. Even if we have doubts or our own hills that we want to die on. We love being right. What if we loved being right with God more? Now, at Renewal, we have the three things. That's what our three dots represent, is Jesus is for everyone, Jesus uses everyone, and Jesus changes everything. I think that those are some big statements, and that we can bypass those really quickly. If we don't see ourselves as a Saul or an Ananias, being able to hear from God and move in obedience.